0: Good morning, good morning, what a wonderful day, glad to be here, last Sunday we had our baptism and then this Sunday we're having our communion and I'm so excited, I love being with the saints, love uh, studying his word, preaching his word, glorifying Christ, Um, would you join me in prayer, Father we are so grateful for this time grateful that you've brought friends and friends we haven't met yet. Uh, Father, we just thank you for allowing us to worship you freely. We pray, Father, that your word would pierce our hearts, that your spirit would take the things of Christ and show his glory. We pray, Father, that you would help us uh, to, as we finish this uh, book in Ephesians, we pray that you would help us to treasure the grace of, to treasure the riches that is in Christ. We pray. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians? Can you believe it? We've been in Ephesians for almost a year, and we are actually finishing today. The book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians and chapter 6. We believe all of the word is the word of God, uh, and we're going to start from verses 21, and we're going to finish to 24. Verse 21. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Take a kiss, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I've sent him to you. For this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Verse 23, in his benediction, he says, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. We know that the book of Ephesians, as we've been talking, the theme of it is really living richly in Christ. And when we say richly, we're not meaning financially, we're not meaning that your coffers will be full, your retirement's going to be loaded. What we mean is that God desires for you to be filled with the riches, all of the blessings, all of the strength that he provides. It's not just that God would save you from your sins, it's that he gives you strength to live the day. And what's fantastic is, if you would follow, and we've been going through this in Ephesians chapter 1, we see here Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And the whole book of Ephesians now what these spiritual blessings are and now how does that affect the way we live our lives we're not to despair we're not to be downcast we're not to be discouraged because of what god has done he says here verse 4 just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love the first part of the blessings that Jesus, that uh, the Lord has given us in the text is that God the Father, before the foundation of the world, has elected some to salvation. He says here very clearly, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And he, he puts that little phrase, in love, so that we would be reminded that this electing love this is, this is a true love story. You want a true love story? It's God's love of you before the foundation of the world. Knowing exactly the kind of person you would be. Man, that is scary for me. When I look in the mirror and the sins that I've done and the, uh, and the sinful thoughts that I've had. And yet God says... I chose you, Angelo, before the foundation of the world, and it's not based on what I would do. It's not based on the good works that I would do. He says it's simply in love. He desired to show his affection and his love. See, with that kind of secure love, I can face the day. Isn't that right? With that kind of secure love, even if relationships fall apart around me, I could still walk forward. Amen? Amen. Because his love is secure. Secondly, it says, verse 7, in him, he's talking about Christ. So the Father has chosen us. Verse 7, the Son says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Jesus paid the price for sin. And he did it by blood. And all that means is, as he stood, as he was hanging on the cross, what he received, the punishment and the suffering and the forsaking of God the Father, All of that was placed on the second person of the Trinity. That is Jesus. He received what I should have received. His punishment was what I should have received. And what happens is now. Because of the blood that was spilt. I get his righteousness. It's an amazing thought. He gets my sin. Now that's an unfair transaction. But that's exactly what the Bible says. He who Knew no sin, what? Became sin on our behalf that he that we might become the righteousness of God. Luther, Martin Luther said, It is the great transaction where Christ, where all of our sins are placed on the Son of God. And he is forsooken, he is forsook by the Father. And all of his righteousness is placed on us. So that it is a foreign righteousness when God the Father looks at you, Christian. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, as he looks at you, he declares you righteous. That is an astounding thought. It's not the best Angelo I can be. It's not the best Andre you could be or Marlo. It's not even that. We would still fall short. It is as he looks on you because you have gripped onto Christ by faith, okay? He looks on you with the very righteousness of Christ himself. That is astounding to me. And see, that blows away all the fingers that I point at myself when I fail and when I sin. That blows away the accusers pointing at me when I have sinned and, and maybe snapped at my kids or snapped at my wife, and I ask for forgiveness. God, how can, you, how can you forgive such a wretch like me? And I could look at the cross because the blood was spilt. Amen? Isn't that glorious? The Spirit himself says in verse 13 that he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. That is that our salvation is secure. It is permanent. It will not change. And he moves on to chapter 2. He talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And now how he has made us alive. Verse 4. Being rich in mercy, having his great love with which he loved us. He's made us alive. The things that we used to hate, we now love. We didn't want to hear about Christ. We didn't want to go to church. We didn't want to hear about the scriptures. I didn't want to hear anyone talking about Jesus because I didn't want him to rule over my life. And I wanted my sin and I wanted my independence. Or so I thought I wanted my own authority. And what occurs is in regeneration. When God made me alive, he changed my desires. A complete 180 such that now I love Jesus and I want to be with his people. And I want to be in his word. And I only want to proclaim him. And I hate the sin that I still have. And I hate the unrighteousness. And the inconsistencies that are still in my life. But God has made me alive. If you know Christ, you know this is true. The things you hate, now you love. The things you love, now you hate. It's amazing, isn't it? That salvation In chapter 3, he moves on to the revelation of the church, how the church is now being the manifold wisdom of God. If you look in verse 10, it is the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. The church is God's testimony to the world. The church, when it is healthy, when it is focused on Christ, when it is gospel loving, when it is Christ exalting, it is a healthy testimony to the church world the world looks at us and says why are you still exist why do you still believe in jesus after all you've gone through why after all the hypocrisies and all of the sin that has been in the church throughout all the ages what is it that keeps you guys together it's only christ this is a miraculous gathering brothers and sisters you got to understand this we come from different backgrounds and if you know the lord jesus christ been brought together This is no accident. This is no accident. This is God's revealing work of his will, of his son, of his word, through the church. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? This is rich. Chapter 4, he talks about in verse 12, uh, 11 and 12, that he gives the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Why? So that... You'd be built up to a mature man. And then it says in verse 14 that you're no longer like children tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. What God has given us are pastors and teachers and his word to help expound the word of God so that you could judge for yourself to see if it's in the word of God. And then it causes you to be discerning people, to be a people of the book. To not be fooled by every wind of doctrine. A new guy comes with a new book. Another guy teaches another doctrine. Another person teaches this or teaches that. What the Bible says is God has given us pastors and teachers so that we would be built up. So that we would not be deceived. So that we'd be able to judge for ourselves. If in fact that is scriptural. Chapter 5 talks about now. Having known all this truth, we're going to be imitators of God. And I love how he moves on into the relationships. He doesn't let us just be Sunday Christians if there is even a term. Where I come to a church gathering and I give you my Sunday face. Here's my Sunday face. But at home, I'm I'm an awful, terrible ogre barking orders. Rah, 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 rah. And here, I'm so kind and loving, and I have a nice tone. God does not want that of you. He has given you resources such that the person you are here is the person you are at home, is the person you are at work. The love that you display here is the love you would display to your wife or to your husband or to your children or to your boss. To your boss. Look, at it says here. Verse 5, slaves be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh so that you would glorify Christ in your workplace. He again, as I've said, he gives us the relationships that are the most stressful. Husbands, wives, children, fathers, mothers, and then the workplace. The most stressful. And he says, in there, God's riches Christ's riches is sufficient for you to live it out I love it amen I love it chapter 6 we know it, it has the famous verses of now the armor of God such that you know that even in your own hearts we would have temptation to despair temptation to be discouraged we would be attacked by false doctrine Attack from different philosophies. Everything is flashing before us from YouTube and Vimeo. Everything is flashing before us from Cox and from Time Warner. Everything is battling for your minds and yet God says, put on the armor of God to fight. And you don't fight with fists or guns. We fight with love and with prayer and with constant telling of the truth in love. Amen. And then lastly, now he closes this. He closes this with instructions. And he uses a benediction in verses 23 and 24. It's a typical benediction, a typical typical blessing. He, this is how letters were closed in Greek society as the New Testament was first written in Greek. But now he uses the terms that is written in Greek society and they are completely infused with different meaning. They're infused with different meaning that can be now drawn from the text. Why? Because he uses grace. He uses peace. He uses love all throughout the text. And isn't it just like what God has done? that all that we have received really can be summed up in one word, and that is grace. We don't deserve anything that we've received. In fact, we deserve quite the opposite. We deserve hell forever and ever. And yet God, by his mercy, graciously granted us salvation and the resources to live a godly life. This is our birthright, brothers and sisters. With all this doctrine, notice how doctrine is applicable. Doctrine, when folks say doctrine is not applicable, give me something practical, they don't understand what the Bible is teaching. Paul, if you remember, notice he says here, verse 21, I sent him to you, verse 22, for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. He says, I'm gonna comfort you I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to send Tychicus with this letter. They didn't have email, brothers and sisters. They didn't have Twitter, Instagram, nothing like that. He says, I'm going to send you this man with this letter. And what is the letter? Filled with doctrine. Why? So you would be grounded in life. You would be grounded in his word and so that you will not be shaken. Amen. Amen. I love this you don't have to live as a pauper you are rich in Christ and so now he causes us at the end to come full circle so that we would contemplate profoundly so that we would decide consciously so that we would walk strongly So that we would love deeply, so that we would thank profusely, so that we would reflect accurately, so that we would fight valiantly. So God gave this passage to you so you would live richly in Christ. Here's the theme right back. Living richly in Christ grants two radical liberties or freedoms to walk in. It gives two radical liberties. Paul, we're going to see now, is an example of the first liberty, okay? And the first one is in verses 21 to 22. If you're following along, there's notes. Um, does, anyone else, does anyone else want notes? Are there any more or are we out? There's one more note if anyone wants it. You could raise your hand. Oh, there's another note there. The first point in verses 21 to 22 is pursue fellowship intimately. Because you've been saved, because you know Christ, now you can pursue fellowship intimately. Fellowship is a right of a Christian. Fellowship is a privilege of a Christian. Fellowship is a supernatural reality. This is not, the world seeks community in so many things. You could join just about any club. In fact, I was laughing because there's a community of tango dancers right on Oceanside. Uh, at, uh, uh, on Saturdays, if you want to know, have a community of tango dancers, there's a community of tango dancers. There's a community of different gyms. There's a community of CrossFitters. There's a community of all these different things. But brothers and sisters, this is a supernatural community brought together by God, which is called Christian fellowship. It is a parte- uh, participation of life. It is a sharing of life. The world wants this. I don't know if you've seen that. They rally around sports. They rally around uh, uh, fitness. They rally around political ideologies. The world wants this because we are slowly, slowly losing this. We're losing this to some kind of virtual community. And yet God calls us to not live lives separate from one another. In fact, that's very dangerous. God calls you, if you are a Christian, to be in church, part of a local church. Now, intimate fellowship in the gospel has three results or marks. The first one I love is, you can call it authenticity, authenticity. Or you could call it transparency, transparency. Paul, who has suffered greatly for the gospel, he was beaten he was spit on. He was shipwrecked. He stayed a night in the ocean as the, uh, as the boat went down. Uh, even regardless of all those things, he is not hesitant to share his own struggles. If you notice, there's no air of professionalism. Have you noticed that? There's no air of, oh, uh, this is me, but I'm not going to share my struggles with you. Brothers and sisters, in Christian fellowship, the way it operates the way it works when it's healthy is us being real with one another. This is how I'm living. This is my situation. This is, my, this is how it's difficult. He says, but that you may also know my circumstances, how I am doing. Paul plainly explains his imprisonment as circumstances. If you, rem- if you recall, this letter was sent when he was still in prison. He's very open with his struggle. Secondly, another mark of pursuing intimate fellowship is partnership. Partnership. And he emphasizes these same themes over and over again. He calls the first one his family. Tychicus was his, he calls him his beloved brother. In the church of God, we are not, uh, we've said this before, we're not, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, If he is your savior, we are not like brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters. God has called us into family such that I can look across the room. If you know Christ, you're my brother. If you know Christ, you are my sister, right? We're not called to just um, to just simply have some kind of business transaction here. You come here. How are you doing? Great. See you next Sunday. We are actually called to be in family. Do you you understand that? We are called to be authentic. We're called to be in family. We're called to be committed to one another. But not just to sit around and enjoy each other. We're also to be in service. He calls Tychicus his faithful minister. The word there for faithful can also be translated trustworthy, dependable, inspiring trust persons who show themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, the discharge of official duties. And the word there for minister is where we still get the word for deacon, diakonos, which just simply means servant. It's also translated table servant. So we're not just family, but we're also here doing the work together. A church is united by what? First in Christ, but we're united by love in family and we're united in service. There ought not be any person who is part of a local church who is not doing anything. Christ calls us all to serve. But we're not just family, we're not just service, but there is a point. One thing, or should I say one person who unites us. It isn't the family nor the service that unites us. It is the one who purchased us. And so he says in this next phrase, you notice, but that also you may know what my circumstances are. How I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister, hears the phrase, as he has added this phrase in different measures, in the Lord. In the Lord. We are not to get together simply just to love on one each, on each other and Maybe have a coffee and maybe some donuts at the back and that's called fellowship. No, that's not called fellowship. That's called snacks, right? It's not also just for us to get together and maybe clean up the coast, which is a good thing, you know? We get together and we help the city out and clean the coast and the rivers and the lagoons and and maybe help with a soup kitchen. If we were to do that, That would be simply secular humanism helping. The Bible says that we are to do this in the Lord. What does that mean? It means powered, generated, motivated, and focused on giving glory to Christ. And that is the local church. The local church isn't simply a group that gets together. It isn't simply a group that just does good things. It is a group that gets together, does good things, and is focused on the glory of Christ. If it doesn't do that, it's not a church. It's not a church. Oftentimes, folks try and bind people simply by family or by service. That is not a church. First and foremost, we are bonded by our faith in the person and work of Christ. Fellowship is not to be instigated or initiated by a sense of family or commitment to service. The way it plays out is like this. There are some churches that would say this. Well, here we are. Here's a church. I know you're not faithful in our church. or faithful in the local church. So let's give you a job because if we give you a job, then maybe you might be faithful. That's That's not the order that God would give us. We are to be faithful first in Christ, seeking after him, and then we are to be faithful in the church and working together. Sadly, churches hope to lure folks to increase attendance. They emphasize family church, or they try and sign up folks to do certain ministries without even bothering to see if, in fact, that person knows and loves the same Christ you do. I remember I was talking to a, a, a brother, and as I was having coffee with him, um he i asked him well what do you do in the church he goes well i've been ushering for three or four years and i've been doing this and i've been doing that and i said really how long have you been saved he goes well i'm not really sure if i'm saved i said you're not sure he says no but you know they got me they got me serving there is a big problem there is a big problem what's the problem in the uh, on the outside this is what you're perpetuating on the outside you're saying you're okay your soul is fine just get into just get into these classrooms or just get ushering we'll give you a name tag and your soul is just fine and yet there is no discussion about where to seek forgiveness no discussion about where to seek salvation no discussion whatsoever You're only changed on the outside. There is no change on the inside. Brothers and sisters, we seek gospel change first. Amen. And if you are saved and you know the Lord, join the local church. We got a lot of work for you. There's tons. We will make you busy. Okay. But do you know Christ? I don't want to deal with that part. No. Do you know Christ? And we'll make everything known to you. Also, here's another another mark of intimate fellowship. It's not just authenticity authenticity, it's not just partnership, but there's also edification. Okay. That is a mark of true fellowship, is edification. Edification comes from being sacrificial first. Paul says, and I have sent him to you. Now this seems on the outset very, very minor. It doesn't seem like it's a big thing. It doesn't mean like it's a sacrifice. But you got to remember where Paul is. Paul is in jail. Tychicus is his only help from the outside. This is not the white collar jails of of today. We saw some. Whi- I saw a documentary of the white collar jails, even in San Quentin, from where uh, close to where I'm from. And they were nice. They had gyms and TV and. Man, they had a handball court and everything. This is not like that, okay? Tychicus was his only help there. But edification involves sacrifice. Paul says, I am going to send something that is worth much to me for your edification. This sacrifice of not just sending Tychicus, but also writing a letter. (coughs) If you notice, this letter, which we have now in Sacred uh, scripture. This is priceless to us. It is of inestimable. Inestimable encouragement. How many saints have been fed. Or comforted by, the, by God. In the truths that are outlined here. There's election and redemption. And reconciliation. And justification. Sanctification and glorification. So what it takes. To edify the body of God, is someone has to pay the price. Someone has to say, "I'm going to sacrifice," and that could be, um, that could be in study time, or that can be in planning, or that could be in sending someone to edify others. Secondly, it's intentional. Paul doesn't send Tychicus there as a, as and, and hoping that it'll just happen. He says, "For this very purpose, Tychicus was to deliver the letter and to encourage. Edification must be intentional. Paul's letter was not haphazard. It was a focused treatise on unfolding for the Ephesian believers of the riches they have in Christ. He sought to unfold every spiritual blessing in Christ. Edification must always include teaching, brothers and sisters. It must always include that. Why? Because the teaching of God's truth is what the believer hangs his faith on. I need truth so I could hang my faith on it. I need truth and God's promises so I know I'm going to make it through there in Christ. Edification is not some kind of... You cannot build up people with some kind of ooey-gooey, spineless, jelly-like ambiguous amorphous christian culture it doesn't change it doesn't save it doesn't sanctify it doesn't cause you to mature when you just say all these platitudes and all these niceties and no one is hanging their their whole faith on christ truth must be expounded lastly it's encouraging And it says here, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. That word there for comfort is parakaleo, which means to call to one side, to summon, to exhort, to encourage, to cheer up, to counsel. It's a very common word. But this is what dominates and motivates Paul for this letter and for sending Tychicus. Encouragement is crucial for the Christian. Doubt and disbelief and despair. He has stated that the enemy has his fiery arrows aimed at your heart and you need the armor of God and his spirit to defuse his attacks and to stand your ground. This is one of the main priorities of the local church. is simply encouragement. We plan for encouragement. We pray for encouragement. Without encouragement, there is no mission. Do you understand? If you are beat up, and no one is proclaiming Christ for you where you could hang your faith on you will give up you will have you will say this is it this is too hard without encouragement there is no glory given to Christ you fall in despair and you you cover your head with your own pillow and you don't want to get up in the morning without encouragement there's no desire for discipleship we spend time and resources and trips we exert effort in study, we pray, we write letters, we post sermons, we have meals, we pray for one another for encouragement, amen? This is hard. Serving Christ is hard. Continuing on is hard. It's joyful. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but there are setbacks you may have. Relationships may be falling apart. Difficulties might happen. Estrangement might occur. And yet God says, be encouraged, be filled with the riches of Christ. Lastly, this next part, verses 23 to 24. In Christ, you have the freedom to pursue fellowship intimately. Now that is the right of the Christian. We have deep, intimate fellowship with one another. Secondly, in Christ, you have the freedom to face life confidently. You have the freedom to face life confidently. In Christ, not in yourself, not in your own strength, not in your own pursuits. And he, he does this by giving us truths to ground you. Okay? These are not ambiguous truths. These are truths that ground you so that you have solid footing. The first one he says here, peace be to the brethren, peace, wholeness, reconciliation. Cease, the cessation of fighting, no longer enemies. He talks about this peace, peace in Ephesians chapter 2. Notice, he says, now walk in this peace, live in this peace, because God has saved you by the crucifixion of his son, now you have peace with God. This is what Romans chapter 5 says, right? Therefore, having been justified with God, we have peace. Oh, the world wants peace. Did you know that? They go to therapist after therapist after therapist, psychiatrist after psychiatrist. They follow Oprah and Dr. Phil and what's another one? I forget that guy's name. Over and over, the world wants peace. The world wants peace. Peace. You cannot have peace unless you have peace with God first. And when you have peace with God, you can go to bed. Amen? Peace. This peace spills out even over racial divides. Don't we need that now? We need that now, especially in our country. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Same book, same author. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, For he himself is our, what does it say? He is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He has, the Jews and the Gentiles at that time, they hated each other. The Jews thought they were the people of God and that the Gentiles were less than dogs. The Gentiles hated that condescension and they hated the peculiarity of the Jews. And so they were always fighting. And yet, what God says is because of Christ, if you have come to know Christ, he is our peace. So that people from different backgrounds are now, now united together. He says it unites the church, verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He causes people who were u- used to be enemies to be friends. I remember we were, uh, we were at Manny and Rena's house and Shalina asked me, Uh, and, and Jeanette where did we meet each other and it's always a funny story to me because before we were saved my wife and I we didn't know each other we hated each other couldn't stand each other right and in a little way this is what God does right we couldn't stand each other and then when God saved her and God saved me we said we're family now we ought to be we ought to have peace and she came and asked me for forgiveness. I was still an unbeliever at the time. And I said, there must be a real God here. This girl who was always mean to me is now asking forgiveness. Right? Why? Because if you are a Christian, you know that if you are constantly bickering, if you are fighting, if you are have unreconciled relationships that is not the way that Christ has designed for you to live. Let me show you. Look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. That's the mark of an unbeliever, actually. Romans chapter 3. He's talking about folks who don't know Christ. He's talking about this is the person Without Christ, he says in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Who seeks after God in and of himself? The Bible says no one. God has to work on their heart. Well, I sought after God, yes, because God worked on your heart. Okay, Because the Bible says no one. Right? All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues are open deceiving their poison of asses under their lips that means you just keep lying and keep lying and keep lying you know this even in the workplace folks just keep lying and lying and lying they cover themselves they cover themselves they just keep lying right whose mouth is full of bur- cursing and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood destruction and misery are in their paths verse 17 here's the mark of an unbeliever are you watching he says The path of peace they have not known. The mark of an unbeliever is someone who is not only at war with God, but is at war with others. I'm angry at that person, angry at that person. I can't stand that person. I can't stand that person. Oh, that person makes me angry. I've got a lot of unbelieving friends on my Facebook profile. And I see a lot of anger. Can't believe this person cut me off in the in the in checkout. Man, I'm going to give her a thing or two. Can't believe this happened. Can't believe that happened. Blang 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 blang. I hate my mom. My mom hates me. I, I've never spoken to my brother in 14 years. I hate my mom. The path of peace they have not known. They don't know how to make peace. No one will lower themselves. No one will ask for forgiveness. Everyone is right in their own eyes. They will not lower themselves to reconcile the path of peace they have not known. And yet God says, when you are a Christian, because you know of the sins that God has forgiven you in Christ, you say, how could I withhold forgiveness from someone seeking it after me? I've shared this before. Um, In my family, my father left when I was eight. And I was so angry. Angry, angry, angry. And then I got saved. And then my dad got saved too. Okay. I didn't grow up with him, right? And then he asks me, will you forgive me? Right? You see, too many TV shows where a son just chews out the dad who's left him, right? It's too many TV shows, right? My dad asked me forgiveness, and I had just lived a life of sin. And Christ, I realized that of my own sinfulness before God, not just the sin of action, the sin of thought, and the sin, my own sinful fallenness, okay? And he is asking me for forgiveness. How could I not forgive him since I've been forgiven so much? Because now that I know the peace of God, I can live this way. Do you understand? I can actually forgive and I can pursue peace. Amen? Many of you have these stories. Well, I didn't want to talk to my mom or my dad. I couldn't stand them. Or I've been fighting with this or I've been fighting with that. Many of you have these stories where now you forgive. That is supernatural, brothers and sisters. Amen? Love, love, it says here in uh, Ephesians chapter six, peace be to the brethren and love, and love. In Ephesians, this love is defined. It It has different details. God's love, we saw in Ephesians 1, 4, it is eternal. He has loved you before the foundation of the world. That is secure love, brothers and sisters. If everyone leaves you, God loves you. Oh, I love that, don't you? Oh, I'm filled with that. If everyone denies you, God loves you. It helps you to have body life, it says, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. It gives you stability, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love. It is the air that you now breathe. I, I live in this love now. Ephesians chapter four fifteen, speaking the truth in love, it causes growth. Ephesians chapter four sixteen, it says, causes the growth of the body, building of itself of itself in love. It is a beautiful hallmark of Christianity. Not that we just know theology, but now because of the theology, we love one another. Because of God's great love towards us, we love one another. And then it says, with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only is we can face life confidently because truths ground you, but also because he gives us enablement to empower you. And we see that here. There's God's aid. He says there is grace in verse, chapter 6, verse 24. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus with incorruptible love. Here it says grace. That is God's aid. He's already talked about that. It starts with salvation, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it continues on as God's help for us. Grace here can be defined as his sustaining help from day to day to live a Christ-exalting life. And then lastly, it says here, this is only for God's people. It says, with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love, he defines those who are Christians who have faith in Christ as those who love Christ with an incorruptible love. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes I sit I sit and think and I go, "God, my love for you is so small. God calls that love incorruptible. Why? Because if you are truly saved in Christ, that love will not go away. Is that amazing? That love will not fade. That love only grows stronger even in trial. It grows stronger through the years. That love is supernatural, deposited in you to continue to seek after Christ. Isn't it amazing that he's done this for us? Brother and sister, live richly in Christ. Don't forego your birthright. Now, if what is described is something you're not sure of or it's different or you know that you don't know Christ, but you would like to, I'd love to speak with you afterwards. I'll be available after service. There's others you can talk to after service. There are many others here who can speak to you as well. But don't go away without getting your questions answered. Okay? He has given us this richness to live for his glory. Let's pray, and then we can take communion. We're going to end a little early so we can take communion. <laughs> Why don't we have the men come up and the band come up? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your kindness. We thank you that you have given us Christ. We pray, Father, that you would help us to live richly in Christ. That we would be rock solid, that our feet would be firm, that we would not be children tossed here and there. And Lord, help us to celebrate communion. We love to sing and to praise you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the friends. May you save God. Would you save that soul who is just thinking about Christ, contemplating about what he's done, and do it for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.